<laughs> Shall I introduce myself? Please do. I'm Patrick Haggard. I'm a professor at the Institute of Cognitive Neuroscience in PALS in UCL. And it's a pleasure to talk a little bit about working practices and working trajectory. I've almost always really liked my job. I've almost always felt extremely privileged to be paid at least something <laughs> for, for the fact for a job that I enjoy doing anyway. I've always tried to concentrate on um, making my job make me happy. So I feel if I look forward to Monday morning, then I'm probably doing my job correctly. And that's good for me and good for the organisation. We're very lucky as academics that we do have a lot of control over what we do. We do have a lot of agency. We do have a lot of ability to to select how we work, what we work on. Uh, we do have, of course, the responsibility to work hard. Uh, nothing annoys me more than a lazy professor. Um, but I've always uh, felt, I suppose, a strong link between my happiness at work and my life goals. So if my work's going well and I'm really enjoying the things I'm doing at work, um, then everything else is but probably fine. So a very yeah. important part of my happiness has been the feeling that I'm doing my job well and making progress at work. That, that's it's a good guide. Definitely, definitely. And if we take a step back to when you were you know, at school and thinking about what you wanted to do, was can you remember sort of what you were thinking about when you were thinking about what you wanted to study at a degree level? What sort of drew you in this direction? Um, well, it's complicated, and I, I'm, generally I like to look forwards. I don't like looking backwards too much. I sometimes don't like what I see. Uh, what I do remember is when I got to university, uh, I was very lucky, um, but I also noticed a little voice in me which said, this is good. Uh, I want to stay here. I like it here. Uh, and I think I knew pretty much as soon as I joined um, as an undergraduate that, that I liked the environment. I believed in the idea of a university. Mm. And, and that, for me, has been a very profound experience um, throughout my career. That I remember how positive it was for me to be working in a knowledge environment, mm. an environment uh, based around... Uh, thinking and intellectual activity and um, understanding, communicating, transferring, educating uh, and even discovering. And I thought, great, this is my, mm. my life's career aim. And I've always had that in the back of my mind when I try and do my own job. So the, the, the magic moments for me are uh, the moment when you're, for example... Um, working with a student on a project or in a seminar and you really feel that they're learning, that their eyes are being opened, they've mm. understood something, that they're going somewhere. And that idea of sort of personal progression of understanding through knowledge for me is the heart of what a university ought to be about. It's something I realised I could, you know, it was. I realised it was a, a bus I could get onto, yeah. if you like, when I was an undergraduate and I've, I've always had in my mind the idea that I might be able to give to other people the kind of enlightening experience of understanding that I remember having when I was a student. So that's what I consider my job is. And it's, 
it's a, it's, a, it's a privilege and an honour to be part of that process, isn't it? It's a, it's a, I can't, I mean, I think we have fabulous jobs. I just, I can't believe I get to do this for a living. But what you've identified there, it's, it's a wonderful thing to be part of that kind of journey for other people as well as yourself. I think so. I think, I mean, lots of psychological studies show that uh, one thing that makes people happy is helping others. Mm. Um, and I think there's a real sense in which you know, we're lucky in our job that, the institution in which we work, if it's doing its job properly and when it does its job properly, and that, that needs to be sort of carefully watched, um, can do that. It can exist for that. It can exist for the, 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 the communication of, of ideas mm. and the transfer of knowledge. And I, I think that's a, a really important public good yeah. and, and you know, something at the scale of the entire human race, really. Um, so th- those are big ideas, but those are is also part of my internal motivation. And obviously, everybody has bad days, but when I get a good day and I feel that I'm part of that yeah. project, uh, I feel very grateful, and I try and keep that in mind even on the bad days. Yeah. yeah. So when you were, um, did you, when you were an undergraduate, you were already thinking really about PhDs was that the kind of something that was in your yeah, mind yeah yeah and even beyond that I was thinking oh that those professors who are teaching me yeah that well they've got a great job and and they're great at it some of them not all um and that's a good thing is there a particular um lecturer or professor you can remember that really stood out for you um I don't think there's one in particular and and uh, I don't know whether it's sort of appropriate to name names, um, but but to, it, it is true that, that many many people um, find themselves in a particular place, job, um, subject at university or whatever because of a, a teacher. Mm. Uh, I think we can all remember that kind of um, experience. I think I've been lucky because I've had several yeah. people who've given me something at different stages in my career, and a few people who've given me things that I wanted to do move away from send negative signals as well um, so but but I think that's that's a very important kind of uh, social interaction mm. in terms of sort of work life I, I joined UCL in, on the 1st of January 1995 after a three-year postdoc and uh, I found that quite quite interesting the first few years so First of all, one of the interesting features about the British academic system is people become scientifically independent when they get their first sort of lectureship type position, often quite young. I was 29. Um, and then it's a little bit like jumping in at the deep end of the swimming pool um, and, and you have to suddenly uh, start, for example, directing other people's research, whereas a few weeks before you were a postdoc and somebody might have been directing your research. So you've got this very sharp transition mm. to independence. And um, traditionally in Britain, there's been a rather kind of sink or swim attitude towards that point. I think now we're much more aware of the fact that new academics need training and induction mm. and they need mentoring. So I think um, that is very important. The number of people who need mentoring in to an academic role is very high um, and we're not very we're not as good at as good at it as we should be and it really does make a difference so I, I spent a few years not exactly struggling but um, just trying to figure out what what were my responsibilities and how, how do I how do I give a good lecture or how do I um, uh, 
understand the, what I'm supposed to do in terms of uh, supporting students in, in learning or working with colleagues on research projects. And in, in my case, that sort of coincided with um, moving to London, um, trying to find somewhere to live, trying to actually make the place that we found actually livable as opposed to a ghastly wreck. Um, and, and also I had a very young child. Mm-hmm. Um, so my daughter was, I think, eight weeks old when we, when we moved. So looking back, those were very, very difficult years. Yeah. I don't think I realised at the time quite how difficult they were. It's combining a lot of quite stressful events, isn't it? Moves, new jobs new family, all at once there. Lots of life events at the same time, and that's something that psychologists have done a lot of research <laughs> on, and they know that it's a ma- major uh, risk point for, uh, for mental health. So that was a, that was a difficult time, mm. um, and I think I probably would have benefited from having more mentoring. I think people were very nice, but uh, I, I, it's a time when people need quite a lot of support because they don't really know what to do. Yeah. And I think we, we perhaps need to pay more attention at the point where people transition into a new role, we need to make sure that there's somebody, not the line manager, but somebody senior and, and helpful who, mm. who can just sort of watch that they're making the transition correctly. Uh, that's Definitely. an important I, point. I think one of the things that's been interesting over the past few years, certainly at UCL, is an increased interest in um, and practical attempts to get mentoring systems set up. And we have reasonably good ones sort of going now it's going to get stronger as more people get involved in PALS, but also um, bearing in mind really the needs for early career researchers because it's not just a you know, kind of tick box exercise as you move from one thing to another. Your role significantly changes and you're going to navigate that. They have to navigate that and, and they get very few, few clues mm. and many of them are very anxious uh, because it, in the early career role, I mean, PhDs often tend to work quite well because they're quite fun and it's your PhD and you have quite a lot of independence. Once you're a postdoc, you often lose independence because you're then working on somebody's grant. And then you're supposed after three or whatever years to become a lecturer and be suddenly fully independent. Um, And I think a lot of uh, early career researchers are really quite anxious about that process and they need to be mentored and encouraged to sort of prepare themselves um, for uh, academic independence. I think the... The PALS mentoring scheme is excellent, so I got asked a few years ago to mentor somebody on that, um, and it was brilliant. It, it worked really well, so we met, I can't remember, every four or five months, and both of us really enjoyed the discussion. We had a, a very open and supportive sort of discussion. There were a number of problems that I hope I was able to advise about, but also I learned a lot from talking to my mentee. Yeah. The other thing, which just as a tip... We made a point when 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 she came and we had the mentoring sessions. We always went out. We never went to the office. We always went to a cafe, and somehow that just made the atmosphere uh, kind of neutral. And and as a result, it it, it was very uh, very open and very successful. Very very good program. So just uh, perhaps going back to to the early career stage, the other thing which for me was very important in terms of work organisation and, and work habits is was the UCL day nursery, which for, I, 
assume it's in fact, I think it is still going strong well, some right yeah. it, I think probably lots of people that we know have um, been through it in one way or another but uh, both of my kids uh, went to the UCL day nursery and that m- meant that um, I had the the main sort of school run job of bringing the kids um, mm. into into work and taking them to the nursery and then picking them up at the end of the day. Uh, it was an excellent nursery. I'm sure it still is. It provided very high quality childcare um, at a uh, then reasonable cost, now even more reasonable because now there are tax concessions that workplace nurseries have, which they uh, didn't have then. Uh, and I think it really made my role at UCL possible. It, 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 it meant that both I and my partner were able to continue working. It meant that I was just able to find enough hours in the day to do my academic duties and gradually build my career, even though um, I was also, uh, you know, had two young children. I wasn't the sole caregiver, but I quite a lot of my life was focused on my children, and rightly so. So yeah. I would really say how important... Um, childcare provision in the workplace is. I think it's a really important thing that employers can do. I think it's something that um, uh, working parents really appreciate and really like. Um, It's something that uh, kids really like. I can remember one of the best things that I enjoyed when my kids were at nursery. The first year that they were there, they were in a sort of a real class for babies and I used to during my lunch hour walk from the department to the nursery and spend a bit of time uh, first with Emily and then with Chris so I used to give them their lunch and then sometimes I'd take them to Gordon Square and kick a football around just for 20 minutes and uh, of course it's a lovely thing for me to do in the lunch break and really nice to feel that I could do that and still do my job so it dealt with a lot of the um stresses that inevitably young parents have nowadays so please keep the UCL nursery open and expand it if we can (laughs) yeah no it's and it's it's really um it's very refreshing to hear people discuss it in a way that you know it is and as an important part of your life as anything that you're doing at work arguably much more important and it's not something to be fitted in around the edges you know the, the happy life for me is one where I've got my family time and my work time, I'm enjoying all of them, but um, it's not one's not getting squeezed because of the other. Yes, I think we, we moved to London um, because I got a job at UCL and when I got a job at UCL. And one of the things that, that we were afraid of, if you like, was that you know, we'd be living a long way out, we might be living a long way out of the centre, we'd have to um, get childcare local to where we lived mm. and then you'd have a long commute into town and a long commute back so you wouldn't see your kids until what seven o'clock at night so I think that's a fear that a lot of parents have and of course the workplace nursery solves that so for you know six years of my life I was sitting on the train with either one or two children yeah. um, counting bridges going past or reading uh um, reading storybooks and mm. bringing them with me on the commute. The trains were less crowded then than they are now. I'm not sure it would be as easy to do that uh, uh, these days. But it was, we made it quality time, and yeah. that made me happy. Yeah, I think it made them happy. Uh, it um, made me able to. 
do my full day's work uh, without anxiety um, and and without sort of uh, cordoning off and walling off all of those other responsibilities that I had as a parent. Mm-hmm. So I felt for a long time that, you know, the UCL nursery would be enough to keep me at UCL, even if I got offered some offer that I couldn't refuse by some competitor, which, of course, actually never happened. But if it had done, I sort of felt, well, no, the the nursery is is the important thing that keeps me here. Can I ask you about one of the things that I find... One of the things that's old about our jobs is... um, I think it's a lot more creative than people think a scientist would be because we have a great deal of freedom, really, to pursue things that we find interesting. I mean, within sensible limits and fundable programmes and realistic questions you can ask with science. But we, we, have some, we have a lot of control over what we decide we really want to spend our time thinking about. And so it's always interesting to look at what we, you know, the different things that are attracting everybody's attention. One of the things I've found very interesting about your work is... Uh, you have a kind of breadth of view and a sort of uh, curiosity across topics that's not unfocused or uninterested, but is seems like properly um, academic. And I'm using this in the most profoundly complimentary way <laughs> that, you know, you can, sort of Charles Darwin could sit down and think about, well, how have things got to this state? And I, I don't, you know, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong in going out and having lots of hypotheses and testing them, but also just having a kind of a, but this, let, let's understand this system by looking at it many ways. I think is you you do function imaging, you do robots, you do you know galvanic skin response, you and you you have a really interesting approach. I think in that perspective. Um, well, that's very flattering. I I, I I mean I yeah I know what you mean. I like to I, I like the breadth. Um, I think depth and expertise are essential as well. I think it's not good if you're a professor in a leading research university to have a superficial or or, um, uh, meagre knowledge. You have to know what you're talking about. Mm. Um, But I like to have broad interests. I've always enjoyed that. I think we were talking about undergraduate experiences. I think that's something I found very early on that I liked about universities. And that's deeply embedded in historically the idea of what a university is. So Mm. um, uh, a, a university... Um, traditionally has been a place that is not narrow. So it might be deep, but it's not narrow. Uh, So it has seen the added value and the advantage of being able to um, talk to people who have a different perspective, to understand uh, different ways of approaching a question, to have an opportunity to try to approach a question from different ways, and to, to, to... bring knowledge together to produce understanding so that's my vision of what the job is Um, uh, and I think one thing that I've discovered in terms of work practice is you need to uh, you need to have time and make time and you need to have opportunity and make opportunity to allow that to happen so uh, you need to be able to fall into conversation with people or go to a seminar simply because mm. one of the key keywords in the title sounds interesting um, and it's partly a personal thing about um, being able to lift your eyes from the ground in front of you and, and look around up look up a bit look up look around a bit and to allow yourself to be inspired it's also part of the, the 
the culture that the university ought to offer us. So I worry, for example, about colleagues in universities that either always have been or are rapidly becoming teaching factories, um, that even if they did have kind of broad intelligence and the ability to bring lots of things together, that the uh, the nature of their job is 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 just too routinized that there isn't the slack to allow people to make connections. I think you've got to face up to that in, in a university. If you really want to, to get the added value from having people sparking off each other and making new connections and putting things together which nobody had previously thought of combining, you're going to have a slightly inefficient organisation because you're going to have to have people bumping into ideas and opportunities that that are uh, unexpected you've got to allow space and opportunity for mixing yeah. and I think that's that I mean I'm not a university manager but if I was I'd be thinking how can we preserve that despite yeah. all the pressures that the universe the modern university is under yes a lot of stuff that would be hard to sort of list as a time record of this is what I spent my time doing would be hard to justify in academia but actually it's where where things are actually happening it's you where know, the ideas are germinating. And the talks and the, yeah, it's where, where, where things get started. Exactly what you said. Yeah. And um, so what, what keeps you doing what you do? How, how do you maintain, um, how do you not get bored or have some, you know, you yeah, see occasionally yeah. people just go, that's it, I'm studying something completely different. And, yeah, good question. I mean, of course, I do get uh, bored and I do get fed up um, sometimes. I think everybody does. Um, so I think, as I said, personal happiness in work is, is, for me, still possible. I'm very privileged and pleased that I can still be happy through my work. And I try to, I try to listen to the signals and try to follow that. So um, I was describing to, uh, uh, to my partner a committee uh, that I'm on. And she observed that every time I talk about the committee, I'm obviously really stressed. She, she said, what, why are you doing that committee? Why didn't you resign? I thought, that's a good idea. Why don't I? <laughs> I haven't. But um, So I think there are a number of things that influence how we work or how I work. So one is responsibility. So we are in a position of responsibility, and that means there are some things we have to do. Mm. I really try hard not to fail to do something that I've undertaken to do. And there are quite often occasions where you need to work extremely hard. Let's say you take on a student to do a project and you know, a student struggles or the, the thing that you thought you were studying turns out to be extremely elusive and you just need to find the extra time, energy, resource and thinking power to uh, deliver what you've undertaken to, mm -hmm. to do and, and of course to help the other person so I don't like letting people down and that means I quite often do end up working uh, very hard um, particularly with deadlines approaching either for student work or research work or committee work, so I do a lot of committee work as well uh, so sense of responsibility and hard work I, I think are part of it I, I do use substantially the flexibility of our of, of of the academic job so um and I, i'm very very grateful and privileged that i'm able to do that so just to give an example i find that my uh, my best time of day for writing or thinking or, or or doing anything difficult and creative tends to be the early morning 
and um, now that I don't have children to take to school uh, because they're all uh, grown up and wonderfully independent, I quite often spend a couple of hours at the beginning of each day at home, at my desk at home, uh, writing or doing something which I know requires real concentration and difficulty. And I don't typically feel I need to be at my desk in the university by 9 or 9.30 or even 10. I sort of feel I need to do some good work this morning. And then when I feel that I'm ready to go into university, I'll go into university. I quite often spend a day working at home, less now than I used to, but um, good if one can. And the other thing that I've discovered, which I sort of hope doesn't sound like banging on, I've discovered that I'm happier and I work better if I get physical exercise every day. Now, I'm lucky that I've been able to build that into my life uh, and I've just learned that's the right thing to do. Mm. It it sounds odd, but I I know that I'll write a better paper or teach a better lecture if I've (laughs) been out for a run before or will go for a run afterwards Mm. um, compared to if I don't. And I don't feel guilty about, um, you know, leaving early, although that's unusual, um, or or arriving late because I want to do that. Uh, Obviously, one has to be careful. One has to make sure one isn't cheating one's employer and cheating the people uh, around one of of one's contractual obligation to to work with them and for them. But I think we're fairly good. We should be fairly good at self-monitoring. I don't think I do that. And I think I do better work if I'm allowed to have uh, that way of making my life rounded and complete. Definitely. I mean, I, I certainly, I, I tend to get up very early in the morning specifically so I can fit some time in for exercise because I know everything will be better for the rest of the day as a consequence of that. And I've just, it's a bit like having a dog. Yeah. You have to walk the dog every day, only I'm the dog. <laughs> and it's, and it, and I've just, I, I'm exactly the same. I, I don't make apologies for it. This is, this is as important as anything else I'm going to do the day for the whole day because it makes the whole day go better. Hmm. Obviously, whatever works for you, it's, you know, not everybody's the same, but it's definitely, definitely, if there was a, I think if there was a drug that we could all take that would ma- mimic the effects physically and <laughs> mentally of exercise, everyone would just be taking it because there's nothing else we like it. The other thing, again, this is something which is a, perhaps a privilege of academic work. The other thing which I think is very important to bear in mind um, in our job is is the pleasure of the idea. So, you know, sometimes you go through a week where you've got lots of exam scripts to mark or you've got to attend lots of committees or uh, it all seems a little bit tedious and bureaucratic. But sometimes you, 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 you'll get in a situation where somebody's, for example, talking about their work and you think, oh, that's interesting. And you just find you can get into the discussion and uh, and the, the working out the idea. Um, and, and for me, that's a, a real drug. That gives me an, an enormous uh, surge of dopamine, serotonin, and probably lots of other things as well, because it, it, it's so pleasant and so exciting. And uh, sometimes you might actually be able to have a good idea, and that might be quite important or quite useful in ways that you do not yet know. And the the feeling of um, engagement, constructive engagement in intellectual activity, I think that's fundamental. I'm always uh, worried now that I spend quite a lot of time on university committees and on 
um, sort of governance and things, how much time we spend talking about money and how little time we spend talking about ideas. Now, obviously, you have to have somebody who's looking after the money. I'm not being naive. But let's not forget the centrality of ideas in, in the reason why we're here. The, the, the reason why we're, we're paid is to have ideas and to communicate ideas and to, and to have other people communicate their ideas to us. Yeah. And we never need to feel guilty about that. No. Um, we need to feel positive about it. And I think that's something that I try to bring to the way I do my job is, is to sort of signal to people, you know, let's talk about the ideas here or let's just go through the ideas. And, and that's a good thing. Mm, definitely. I have one last question and then I'm going to ask you for uh, to say something else but so just um when you one of the things you have to learn to do as a when you're starting your own lab is of course running a group of people no one ever teaches us to be managers in academia and everybody solves this problem that's not a problem everyone deals with this situation in slightly different ways we don't think there's not a template one size fits all for how an academic lab is run what's been your experience what do you find works for you yeah good good question um I think it really helps to have good social skills. I think it's much easier to manage people, or at least the way that I would like to be managed myself, uh, if you think about the other person. So I think a bit of theory of mind is very, very useful. Um, And I think the other thing which is very important is to look at role models. Think about the people you worked for when you were perhaps a PhD student or a postdoc and who were good to you. And then now the roles have inversed and you've got to pay it forward. You've got Mm. to behave to others as as your former good bosses behave to you and not behave in a way that your former bad bosses behave to you. So I think looking at your own autobiography... Um, and picking or looking for role models is very important in management. And I think constantly realising that you're, you, you're dealing with other people's lives uh, and that, in a way, your job is to at least try to inspire them, to provide them with some kind of intellectual leadership. So I don't think I've always done it very well. Uh, it definitely has got easier as I've done more of it. And the other thing that I would say I think think is very important is to choose your people very very carefully so I I pay great attention now to whom I recruit into my my research group because I know that I then inherit a strong responsibility mm-hmm. uh, for for their happiness and the happiness of all the other people all you need is one sort of difficult person in your research group and then they will spread mayhem in every direction so just choose very very carefully Um, and as always with these kinds of management things um, if you're in doubt the first reflex is to go and talk to somebody who, who anybody but ideally somebody who's perhaps a bit senior to you and who can take a sort of a mentoring perspective to the problem you're dealing with don't try and deal with it alone. And uh, people are always very, very helpful as a rule. And do you have anything that you... I mean, you don't have to answer this, but would, would there be anything that you would give somebody as advice about 
this kind of job who was coming into the system now is there anything you feel you've learned that no one that you didn't know when you began I know there's probably many things but like anything that would be useful advice right what good, works for you Patrick good question so first of all I would say don't start this job unless you really enjoy it so don't move into the academic uh, industry or the academic sector unless you really enjoy um, ideas knowledge uh, I've got a perhaps a rather um, personal comment, but it's been very useful for me, and I think it's been useful for other people that I've communicated it to. A lot of us, for example, go into academia because when we're at school or at university, we like studying and we like writing essays and we like um, controlling the way it's all set down and doing it properly. It's slightly sort of perfectionistic uh, traits. Um, and we like the fact that we can do it the way we want. We, we, you know, I can write my essay or it's my PhD and this is, this is, we have a lot of ownership. And I think a lot of us are attracted by that and that allows us to get involved in the, in the, the academic process and to really get engrossed and, and to love our work. And that's brilliant. And then as the career develops, as you move through your career your responsibilities change and you're not going to be for your whole career the keen student sitting in the library in their own private world enjoying uh, reading the text or or making sure their notes are perfect and you begin to acquire a much greater responsibility to provide things for other people rather than yourself so the way that I always think about it is that a lot of us choose the career because we're a little bit monastic and after a while what you discover is it's not really a monastery it's more like a parliament it's more like the house of commons and it's more like there are a lot of people many of them very intelligent and they're all broadcasting their ideas and there's no real use you staying in the library and writing perfect notes all your life that's almost selfish you need to have a really good understanding of what you're doing but you also then need to expose those ideas to the wider world. You need to uh, publish them. You need to communicate them. You need to get feedback from them. You need to engage in critical dialogue with other people. So you need to move in our career from the monastery at the start to the parliament. And none of us are prepared for that shift. And I think one thing that I try and do when I'm mentoring now is to nudge people towards thinking less about their own personal relationship to the knowledge and thinking more about the way that that knowledge plays out in the in the social sphere and how you're going to transfer it to other people and how you're going to um, make sure it's actually useful for them not just for you thank you Thanks for listening. This has been What Works. My name is Sophie Scott.